As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 461 of the Survival Podcast. Today we're going to answer a question. Actually, I'm going to answer the question, why survivalism? And I'm going to answer it personally, for me. And I'm going to answer about uh, eight other questions. This is almost going to be... I don't know, I've been working on some interviews I'll tell you about in a second, so it's almost going to be me interviewing myself. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I don't have a partner here, and when I bring a guest on, I bring them on to talk about them, not me. So um, I've been asked a lot of these questions lately offline. Uh, when I meet people, and I tell them who I am and what I do. So I thought maybe some of you might have them as well. More importantly, maybe some of the people you're trying to share this concept with might have them and might want to know, why the hell should I care about survivalism? How does it fit into my life? Especially people that say, well, I'm a computer programmer, or I'm a salesman, or whatever. You know, I'm a little bit of a programmer, and I'm a hell of a salesman, and yet this is important to me enough that I made it my life wor- life's work. So we're going to talk about that, and hopefully it'll be a good show for sharing. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and knock out our housekeeping. Uh, housekeeping item one is always, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is MERS Radio, MERS-Radio.com. Remember, go to our site, thesurvivalpodcast.com. Use the banners there, and you'll know you're dealing with an official sponsor. But what is MERS Radio? MERS Radio is this really cool technology. It's about five frequencies with a bunch of sub-frequencies in between them. You can tune these old radios to for more privacy. That allows you to communicate with someone up to about a mile, two miles, depending on conditions. Uh, it's kind of like the radios that maybe you would see at, like, Academy or, you know, some other store that sells little walkie-talkies, but different frequency. You don't find them there a little bit higher end, a little bit more reliable. Here's the cool part. I make these motion sensors that tie in to the frequency you can put on your property. And what we have is we have two radio handsets, and we have a base station that's always on. It's plugged into the wall. Anytime there's movement in any one of these sectors outside on our property, we know about it, whether it's a dog trying to get out or somebody sneaking around the front door at night. Now, being able to take that secondary communications and combine it with security is really cool. It's why I love MERS radios, and I think that's why it belongs on your homestead. Uh, next up today is the Berkey guy. Folks, you know, the one thing we can't really make it very long without is water. Uh, it's the most important thing out there. And the water that comes out of our faucets, I'm sorry to say, I'm not comfortable drinking anymore. The more I learn about the effects of things like fluoride in our water systems, the less I want to drink water that comes out of the tap, at least the way that it comes out of the tap. So I've made water filtration part of my life. I think you should make it part of yours as well. And if the shit ever does hit the fan, uh, you may have to be drinking some water you really don't want to drink. And uh, I was once asked, I had uh, Eric Worsham, uh, bring me on his show, the Handgun Podcast, talking about bug out bags. And he said he was re- relying on boiling and chemical purifying of his water. What was he missing? I said, you might be drinking some really nasty brown water at some point. And since he's an Air Force guy and he's single, you know, maybe he can deal with that. But folks, you got kids. 
Try to get your eight-year-old daughter, who's upset because Facebook is down, in the middle of a disaster, to drink brown water. Good luck with that. So I think you should have water filtration for good times and bad, and I think Berkey is a great way to go with that. Uh, one more thing I want to throw in at this point. We have not a sponsor, but a supporter of the Members Brigade called Survival Gear Bags. Uh, they give all Members Brigade folks uh, 10% off. Uh, everything in the shop. Right now, they're giving everybody 10% off. So, survivalgearbags.com, 10% off everything in the store. And if you're a Members Brigade member, you get another 10% off because you still get to use your MSB discount. So, I think that's really cool. Kelly, uh, that runs Survival Gear Bags, is doing that. He's a great guy. Check out Survival Gear Bags today as well. Uh, next, I got an announcement for you guys today at about 1 o'clock. And it's why I'm late with my broadcast today. I was getting uh, prep work done for my 1 o'clock interview today. I'm going to be interviewing Dave Canterbury. Uh, so Dave Canterbury will be on Survival Podcast tomorrow to talk about his background, his life, and Dual Survivor, the new Discovery series that he has out. Uh, episode 2 I thought was awesome. I thought it was way better than Episode 1. So if you watched Episode 1 and go, I don't know if this is really what I want to watch. Dude, check out Dave's show. It gets so much better once they let the storyline down about why these two guys are out there and get into the skill sets. It was pretty freaking awesome. I think Episode 3, from what Dave tells me, is going to be even better. Dave will be here tomorrow to talk about that and other things. Also, I brought on um, through YouTube a guy named Mike Gager in the past. And so just to me, really spot on, really switched on when it comes to financials and where we're going in the future economically. I'll be interviewing him Friday, so his show will probably air Tuesday next week so that we can do your list of feedback Monday without preempting that. Uh, Next up, make sure you check out our gear shop, shirts, hats, everything. Uh, French press mugs still on uh, time and going to be out by the end of the month to everybody that pre-ordered them. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members. And uh, one real cool thing, I haven't got it in there yet, but a guy from a site called BioBees.com just gifted us with a 60-page ebook about how to build top bar beehives. And uh, said, here, you can have this for the Members Brigade. I think it's freaking killer. I think the guy should be selling this for like 30 or 40 bucks. I don't know if he sells it or it's a resource or what. But it's going in the Members Brigade. You'll be able to download that as a free ebook, another free ebook for the Members Brigade. And it's just awesome. I'll just leave it at that. I'll get that in there sometime today, maybe tomorrow, uh, with this interview coming up midday. All right. So let's get into the main topic. I know it's a longer intro segment, but lots of stuff to talk about today. Um, the big question is that I get is why survivalism? And to answer that question, I have to first tell you what survivalism really is to me, what it's all about. When I look at somebody, like we just mentioned Dave Canterbury, or, or you know, made better known because he's been doing it longer, Les Stroud, uh, or Bear Grylls, or any of these guys on TV, in these wilderness survival scenarios, and they go out in the middle of nowhere, and they say, I have nothing but this small assortment of goods with me, and now I have to get home, I have to navigate, stay warm, I have to shelter myself, I have to feed myself, I have to find water. Is that survivalism? Yes. But it's also like saying, what is beer, and you hand me uh, a bottle of Scheinerbach. Great beer. Love to drink it. But Scheinerbach isn't beer, it is a beer. It is a flavor, if you will. It is a, a single uh, nuance within a much broader scope. Scheinerbach has about as much in common with a Belgian ale like Chimay as you know water does with with uh, with soda. I mean, they're just different. They're totally different in taste, in structure, in complexity. So when I say survivalism, I do mean 
that type of survivalism, but that's one thin slice of a pie. My broader scope of survivalism, my mile-high view of what is survivalism, it is setting up your life with redundancy and forethought. Those two things together. I have you know, water that I rely on from my faucet, and maybe it goes through a filter because I don't want to drink the fluoride. But I have a redundancy in place, which is water storage. And if that water stops flowing, I have additional water that I can draw. So redundancy and Forethought. Forethought is actually thinking about the need for the redundancy. That could fail. It is also planning for success. So when we look at saving money for the future, yes, we put some in a typical uh, retirement vehicle, a 401k, a Roth IRA, whatever vehicle you want to put it in, because if everything holds together throughout that period of time, and history has shown us that some way or another we tend to, as a society, finagle through things. Bad things happen, but we tend to get where we're going. It'll be there, and we'll get the advantages of it. But instead of putting everything there, we also bifurcate that, and we take half of that savings for retirement. And we might even invest in a very similar way, but we don't lock it up in a place where we can't get it without paying a penalty to get our own freaking money. We do all of these things in a way that allows us to look forward and say, this is what I'm doing in case everything stays okay, and this is what I'm doing in case things go wrong. So that no matter what happens, no matter what occurs, we're able to continue living our lives, our way, on our terms, to the best ability that we have possible with the least amount of regret in our life as we go forward. To not sit someday and go, if only I had, God I wish, oh my, the regret that people have in their lives when they face disaster, be it a job loss, you know, a relationship that fails, a uh, death of a family member, all these things that happen. And you cannot avoid some of them happening to you. Some of them are going to happen to me. They're going to happen to you. It sucks when it does. There will always be some regret. I want to minimize it. To me, that's what survivalism is. It's about minimizing the regret, about not taking actions you could have taken so easily yesterday, and now they're impossible today. You know, I could have went out and I could have bought a generator for $400 yesterday. And now today the power's out, and I've got newborn children in the home, and it's 100 degrees in the house. As simple as that. You know, there's now a food shortage globally. Food prices, I can still get it, but food prices are through the roof. We can barely afford to eat now. Boy, I could have stored up a year's worth of food so easily in the past. That's survivalism. Redundancy and forethought. Leading toward, if we do it right, early retirement. Now, to me, that's an entirely human concept. That has nothing to do with anything like black helicopters or hiding in a bunker or a garage full of food. It's all about assessing the needs that we have in life and going forward in a very positive way. The next question I kind of have for myself today is, you know, I've said before that my roots are so important to me, where I come from, my background, my childhood, informing the way that I think today. Uh, since leaving a little small coal town as a teenager and joining the Army, I've literally been around the world. And I've been involved in a lot of 
high-end company type operation, and I don't mean military, I'm talking about uh, corporate America. I was the regional sales manager uh, for the northeastern United States for a $500 million global corporation. And I was their number one salesperson in the entire company, a $500 million corporation. And yet, today, I sit in my home office, in my very modest home, in Arlington, Texas, talking to a microphone, to people that tune in and listen, to get a message about survivalism. And a lot of times, it's about ancient techniques, or Depression-era techniques. It's about the common man's skill set. Why am I so anchored in that? Because I grew up in a place where if you didn't have it, it was really a problem. I grew up in a place where you didn't call a guy when something didn't work. I grew up in a place where most homes had that ugly wood paneling from the 50s in it because when the wall needed to be replaced, you know, if Dad wasn't a carpenter, the one thing you could do was go out and buy that cheap paneling and put it down. The wall's fixed. It's a different color. You know? And there's a lot of places still like that in America. I grew up in a place where, and this is still the case there, on the first day of deer season, first day of deer season, uh, which is the Monday after Thanksgiving, schools are closed. Because if they were open, half the kids or more wouldn't be there anyway. I grew up in a place where everybody had a garden. Everybody canned. I grew up hunting and fishing, and when I would come back from my trips, I would be asked, what did you bring back? Not did you have a good time. And it wasn't that my parents and my grandparents didn't care, but it mattered that you brought something back. You're going to go spend, you know, here's how it worked out. You could spend the time working in the garden, working around the house, doing things. You know, by the time you're 13, you could go get a job somewhere, but you're not doing that, no. On your day off from work, or because you're not working right now, you're off in the mountain with a gun, running around having fun. Or you're up at a stream fishing. Fine. Did you bring something back? Did you use your time wisely? Because we all have to eat here. Now, you might listen to that, you might think, what a burden for a child. It was heaven for me. It was absolute heaven for me. Because usually the answer was, yes, look what I've brought back. And on the occasions when we didn't bring anything back, it was, you know, it was understood that we put every bit of effort into it. It wasn't, you know, hey, what did you bring back? It was, what you get? Right? There was an excitement to it. What are we going to be eating tomorrow? You know? Dinner's already ready for today. What do you got? Squirrels? That's awesome. Why don't you go skin them? And, I'll put, and my grandma would be like, go skin them and I'll put a plate of food together for you. Okay, when you grow up with roots like that, I don't care where you're set in the world. I don't care how much of a slumber you go into. And I went into one for a while where I thought, you know, if I just keep working hard and I keep putting off until tomorrow important things like spending time with my family, you know, it'll all work itself out in the end. And I'll be one of those rich old guys walking down the beach carrying my shoes with my wife next to me. One day I sat down and I thought about it and I realized you were a hell of a lot happier when you were a poor kid catching fish out of a creek. And I realized I was working my entire life so that one day I could be an old man and go catch fish out of a creek again. And I decided that that was too damn long to wait. And I went back to my roots. And I grabbed a shovel and I dug a hole in the ground. And I planted something in it 
and my family ate real food. It tasted real food for the first time. And I dusted off my old 870 and I went out in the dove field. And I came home and I wrapped dove breasts and bacon and said, folks, this is real food. This is something we've actually earned the right to eat. You have those roots. They won't let you go. You might push them away for a while, but you will always come back to them. That's why. That's why I can't do anything else today. Because it's innate in who I am. And I'll tell you this. I don't care if you're 50. I don't care if you're 60. I don't care if you've never done these things. If you go out and do them, they're innate in you as well. And the reason is because we have 10,000 years of humanity that lived them. And only 200 years of anything resembling modern society where a person could get by not living them. And it's in your genetic code. It's in your DNA. It's in your makeup. And if you go in and you start to do these things, you'll feel it. And all of a sudden, you'll find something. I won't tell you what that is. I'll let you discover it for yourself. I also have been asked, well, you know, here you are. You're this survivalist guy. <clears throat> go out and build a trap. Catch, a, catch something to eat in, in the woods. Uh, go out and fish, hunt. You know, go out and navigate your, your, your way across open spaces. Uh, store food. Know how to preserve food. Uh, to deal with uh, food storage without refrigeration or freezing, smoking, canning, dehydration, all this great stuff. And yet, like you're this internet guy and you're on the internet and you're on Facebook and you do all this stuff and you know your background once you left sales was marketing online and consulted for big companies and you know how to make Google do what you want it to do. It's a kind of a rare skill set even still today to really be good at, at what they call search engine optimization. You're all into this technology. Look at your boat. You've got a GPS on it. You've got a GPS in your car. You know, you're a podcaster, so you're using iTunes to deliver your message. How can you be in all this traditionalism and then all this technology at the same time? Because they're both wonderful. And because just because we find something new doesn't mean we turn our backs on the old. Let's make it simple. Remember when you were in school, I mean like grade school, like second grade, and you had to learn your, uh, your basic addition, multiplication, subtraction, and division, you know, 1 through 12, you know, 4 times 4 is 16, you know, stuff like that, 2 plus 2 is 4. You had to memorize them, right? And then, once you memorize that basic skill set, they put something in front of you, like 47 times 86. They taught you a few rules, and then you use the very basic memorization to do the more complex problem. Then, you take that more complex problem and you expand it into something algebraic with variables in it. But the entire thing is still based on this memorization of fundamental skill sets. And then somebody put in your hot little hand a thing called a calculator. And with that calculator and learning a few rules, and you, especially an advanced calculator with a few special functions built into it, bam, all of a sudden you can do these complex problems in a fraction of the time. But your teacher would still make you take tests without the calculator. Now, enter the computer. The computer I can program so many pre-assigned variables into it totally negates the need for me to work out any of these problems. I can put in the inputs and the computer gives me the output. So should we stop teaching our children 2 plus 2 is 4? Should we stop teaching our children 7 minus 4 is 3? Do we need these fundamentals to not only develop the computer program, 
that will provide that type of output, but to exist in life without being ripped off by other human beings. To have a fundamental basis of language with which we can communicate to each other. If we don't know 7 minus 3 is 4, doesn't it change how we interact with each other? And should technology fail, where are we? Because I can tell you, I can tell you, I was in New York City during the big blackout. God, I guess that's seven years ago now, something like that. Big blackout. I don't know if you guys remember it, but I mean, they showed pictures on TV. If It was only a little bit after 9-11, maybe a year after 9-11, and like they were people walking across bridges to get out of Manhattan because everything was down. The subways, I mean, power was down throughout a huge piece of the Northeast, and Manhattan was black. Well... Few shop owners came out on the streets because it was hot inside their shops and, you know, were selling sandwiches and things like that for cash. So I had some cash. And I can tell you that there was more than one person that had trouble figuring out how to make change taking cash. And what everybody eventually did was round things off. Nothing was $1.99. It was 2 bucks. Uh, and there was still a person or two when you were buying things for cash not quite sure how to pull off a $6 item, a $4 item, and a $20 bill. And it's sad, but if we shouldn't let those fundamentals go, why should we let a fundamental go like how to get your ass from point A to point B? How to feed yourself? Don't you think it's more important that we at least know how to feed and clothe and provide water for ourselves in the absence of the technology that provides it than it is to do 7 minus 3? And is anybody going to tell me it's time to stop teaching people what 7 minus 3 is? That's why. But does that mean we should throw away our calculators and our computers? That's nonsensical. So I love technology. And I'll make it part of what I do. But, starting out from the beginning, redundancy and forethought to ensure that if it fails, I have another way. That's why I bring the two worlds together. I also believe survivalism is a human concept. I use the word human an awful lot on the show. And I have to kind of explain that, I guess, but I really don't feel like I should. Of course, survivalism is a human concept. Do you know anybody who's, you know, really breaking their neck to climb up on top of uh, the Empire State Building and take a leap of faith? <clears throat> Do you know anybody that, you know, if they're of sound mind anyway, they were standing in a street and a car was coming directly at them, wouldn't get their ass out of the way if they had time? In fact, survivalism is beyond that survivalism is not just the preservation of your life but the preservation of other life the valuing of human life it's, it's an innate human concept let's put the scenario again you see a person and they have their back to the road and a car is coming if you believe there's a possibility if you believe there's a real chance that you can push them out of the way do you risk your life to save their own you know, when a person does that today, they end up on TV, we call them a hero, we give them a medal, and that person just really doesn't even seem to want that. They just want to be left alone and go back to their life. Why? Because most people would do it. Some people wouldn't. There's, there's, there's people that wouldn't do it. There's a calculation that's going to be made. And it's made in milliseconds in the human mind. What are the odds I'll be able to pull this off? How much of my life am I risking? You know? Can I just try, hey, move! Or do I need to push them? You know, if the calculation comes out, we'll both die, you probably don't do it. If the calculation comes out, we'll probably both live, you probably do do it. If the calculation comes out, they will probably live, I might die. 
there's still people out there that'll do it, and they'll do it every time. Those are the real heroes. And they're the ones that really don't want to be called a hero. But that all comes down to survival. It comes down to personal survival and the survival of others. In Los Angeles, in uh, I guess it was 88 or 89, there was a huge earthquake. I remember it was all over the TV. It was right there in the middle of a World Series. And there was a two-level highway. You know, there's like a, a one overpass and another overpass directly over it. They will go for miles that way. And when, in the earthquake, the one overpass collapsed on the other like a sandwich. And it was a huge disaster. There were miles of this freeway collapsed where it's like sandwiched in between there. And uh, totally overload for firemen, police, rescue services. And you know what happened? Average citizens grabbed ladders. Some of them went and, like, traffic is backed up, right? And there's a, a work truck with a ladder on it. Some just went and basically stole the ladder, extended it 22 feet up in the air, shoved it onto there, climbed up, and just started crawling around looking for people. And, in fact, a lot of people did that. The same people that the paranoid survivalist believes, you know, are just out for themselves and they'll, they'll come take everything I have if they know what I do. Right? No. They went into harm's way. They weren't firemen. They weren't policemen. It wasn't their job. They risked their lives. They risked not going home to their family to try to help someone else go home to theirs. Don't tell me survivalism is an innate human characteristic. Of course it is. And the concern for other survival is innate and human. And any decent person, there's psychopaths in the world. I believe there are some people that we can only call evil. But I think most people are inherently good individuals that care about their fellow man. And all I'm saying with survivalism is have enough honor and respect for yourself and your own family to, to care for them as much as you do for your fellow man. Because in that acute situation, you can try to help. But with your family and with yourself, you can put help in place before it's necessary. You can't do that for everybody else. So do it for yourself. To me, that is human. I also stay a lot away from a lot of the typical survivalism niche type things, right? The New World Order, the Illuminati, you know. And I've been asked, why don't you talk more about stuff like that? Obviously, in your world, there's people that want to hear about it. Positive or negative, they want to hear about it. Is it because you don't believe in it? Well, a lot of it I don't. Um, but some of it I do. Is there a new world order? Well, it depends on how you mean that, right? If you mean are there 20 people that have a headquarters somewhere that they all meet together and throw switches and control every aspect of life, um, and they're completely, totally organized, they've been at, at it forever, they'll be at it forever, there's no way to beat them, that new world order? No. That's the most ridiculous thought I've ever heard in my life, honestly. If you mean, are there very powerful people in the world that work together and against each other and try to shape and form the path that our world takes and sometimes succeed in what they're doing and sometimes fail and sometimes have infighting uh, and it's just because they have the most money and therefore the most power that they work together and that they do have some commonalities in their agenda that are not in our best interest, of course I believe that. You'd have to be a freaking idiot under a rock with, with, with cotton in your ears to not believe that. If you put two, two very powerful people in one room together for the first time and don't even know each other, an hour later they've come up with something that they can do together. If you put two poor people in a room together for an hour 
they probably do the same thing. That's another human concept. So it stands to reason that powerful people with a lot of influence and money, when they get together, will come up with plans that have a lot greater chance of success than middle income or poor people. And that they might put their own needs ahead of the needs of others. So, if there's anything like that, why don't I talk about it? Because it doesn't really matter. You say, how the hell could it not matter? Of course it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to you today, right now, this second. If you want politics, I talk about it from time to time, but not a lot. If you want conspiracy theory, there are so many places to get that. Where people talk about it, they get angry, and then they come up in their mind with, I'm fighting them. I'm fighting them. And what are they doing? Yelling at a bullhorn, holding up a sign. I'm not saying those things have no effect, but they don't have the same effect is you being able to survive in your home no matter what happens, and you being able to continue to live your life under your terms no matter what happens, and you being able to be an example to those around you, we don't have to take this shit. So I focus on what you can freaking do. I focus on what you can do to make your life more solidified on your terms. And here's the difference. I don't tell you what your terms should be. If you want to be a flaming liberal or a right-wing nutjob totally religious freak conservative and I mean to the to the max freak on either end of that spectrum fine fine that's okay with me but know why you believe what you believe and make sure you damn well can keep living your way on your terms and then just be open to the fact that you might be wrong that's it that's all I ask of anybody because if you don't stay open to the fact that you might be wrong You'll be so sure of yourself sooner or later, you, in, a, in a crisis, you'll get yourself killed. And nothing to do with your ideology. That's a personality trait that if you have it, you need to work on it. Because if you're absolutely sure you're right, and somebody says, Hey, Tex, man, uh, I think if you try that, it might get you killed. Stop and think. Survival rule. right? So try to make that personality trait part of your life, but build your plan on your terms. If you don't do that, I can't help you. I can't give you my plan. If I give you my plan, you don't own it. It's not yours. You won't follow it. You have to You have to develop your own plan on your terms and develop your own system of redundancies and think ahead enough so you can stay that way or you can change as and where you choose, not somebody else. You shouldn't have to walk away from your home because it's been devalued. If you buy the right way, if you plan the right way, even if your home's devalued, if you still want to live there, it shouldn't matter to you. How the hell should it matter? Because it doesn't matter. If your house payment is $1,000 a month, I know many make higher and lower, but let's say $1,000 a month, your home gets devalued by 25%, but you want to live where you're at. You were paying $1,000 a month before, you're paying $1,000 a month after, as long as you set your life up the right way, what's changed for you? Your backyard is still your backyard. Your front yard is still your backyard. If you don't want to live there, you probably brought the wrong house. Because you were lulled into a false belief that you had to start somewhere and settle for this or settle for that. And you know you had to live in some city or some trendy-ass area or something like that. When we do the right things, we seldom have regrets that are as simple as, as the financial regret of what house we bought. Do you know that your grandparents would buy a small little house on a little plot of land somewhere. And it would be tiny when they first bought it. 
and they'd have a child or two, and there would be room in the house for that child or two, and maybe they'd have the second or the third child in the house, would now seem too cramped. You know what they did? They built another room onto the house, and then another room and another room, and these little houses in rural America from one coast to the other grew with the family, and then they were handed down to maybe an eldest son or daughter, and they continued to grow. And generations would live in one home. The problem we have today isn't a mortgage rate. It isn't what Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac did. It's that we've stopped valuing our houses as homes. We now see them as investments and not in the right way. An investment that you hold that produces for you long term, great way to see a house. An investment that I'm going to flip every two to three years, that's why you got your ass burned. It's as simple as I can make it. That's why I'm into survivalism. I also am huge into gardening and something called permaculture to a point where some people say, are those really survival topics? I've had guys email me and go, Jack, you know, well, manicured garden and shit hit the fan will get you killed. Don't you know that? You have all those rows of corn out there. People are hungry. They'll see your corn. They'll come take it away from you. Breathing as a human being will make you a target in that kind of a scenario. Existing will make you a target in that kind of a scenario. Is there a point in time where you might not want to look like you're even where you are. It could happen. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to tell you everything's rosy all the time. Could we have a societal breakdown like that? Sure. What about the other 99.5% of the time? I'd like to be able to feed myself. And even if I get to a point where my garden is a target, I'd rather have food to defend than no food to defend. You see, I realize something, too, about disasters and survivalism. It is as much an important topic to look at how we prevent the disaster as to how we deal with it. In other words, it's a great idea to have an escape plan for fire in your home. Great idea. You know, if there's a fire, Susie, you go out this window. Daddy and Mommy are going out that window. Billy, you go out this door. All right. If you're anywhere else in the house, this is your way you get out. Everybody meet here at this one place uh, outside the home. Uh, don't try to call 911. We'll do that. You don't grab any, a, a basic get the hell out of the house plan and reassembly plan. So everybody knows everybody's safe. So nobody goes wandering back into the burning house trying to save someone who doesn't need to be saved and then they end up dead. Great plan. You know what else is a great plan? Smoke detectors, fire extinguishers, you know, fire retardant spray, fire uh, resistant insulation, fire resistant materials. Right? Prevent the freaking house from burning down in the first place. Good, uh, good procedures. You know, unplugging certain appliances when they're not in use. You know, thoughts on you know how to cook so that you don't set a grease fire. Things you don't do. All the preventative steps. Right? Just as much a survival plan as getting out when there is a fire. You have both. Not one to the exclusion of the other. Well, gardening. We spread that across America. Permaculture, we spread that across America. Canning our own food. Learning to produce, forge, and build food supplies that we are self-sufficient with, even to a, a tune of 10%, is a huge load off of the system. It's highly likely to help prevent, at least in America, at least in your backyard, a food shortage. Or mitigate the effects of a food shortage. It is the fire prevention plan. And that is much, as much a survival topic as anything else. Be proud of your gardens. Be proud of your apple tree, your peach tree. It's part of the solution 
before the problem fully rears its head. Remember what I said about forethought, redundancy, and not regretting? That's what gardening and permaculture are for me. They are the forethought. They are the redundancy. They are the ability to not regret. And if you heard that growl, it was Max stretching underneath the desk. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard that or not. Max is my big old German shepherd dog. Apparently he's having a dream that he agrees with. All right, um, next. I've been asked why I don't, I don't do more about guns. And I think some people, uh, when the show first started, went, man, this guy doesn't even really know guns because he doesn't talk about them. I did a few shows about guns, ballistics formulas, uh, reloading, uh, looking at different load weights, underrated calibers, uh, some special hand loads that do some special things. People went, man, this guy knows guns. He could do the gun show every day. So why the hell, if you love guns and you know guns, don't you talk about them more? I probably talk about guns about maybe 10% of the time on the show. Maybe 5. It might be that low. I'm not really sure. I never did the math. But I do that because, again, I look at all things as a great total encompassing pie. And what slice of the pie does this represent? There's only so much that you need to know about guns that can be done in an audio program. If I get on here once a week and review a new gun, it doesn't really help you uh, with your overall survival plan. You know, if you want gun training and gun talk, again, there's many sources on that. We'll talk about it from time to time because, yes, defending your home and defending what you have, especially in a crisis, hugely important. Hugely important that you know how to defend yourself. You have a means of defense. I feel so sorry for people through other parts of the world that can't own a gun. I really do. Because there's a certain amount of liberty, freedom, and independence you will never know as long as you live in an oppressive police state that won't allow that. And that's why it will be over my dead body before it happens here in America. I will not stand while this country is disarmed. It will not happen. All right, that's, how, that's how much I believe and feel that. And then I don't talk about guns that much. Well... Let's look at a few things. One, how many times have you been in a fight in your life? A real fight, where it really mattered who won. Take away the schoolyard bully crap, right? You know, I'm talking like somebody trying to beat your ass, and you have to beat their ass, or you get your ass beat. Or maybe you even fought for your life. And if you're a com- you know, combat uh, arts guy, and you do mixed martial arts, you climb into a ring, you take that crap out, that's an agreed-upon sport. That's not a real-world scenario. I'm not putting it down, just honestly. Right? You can avoid the fight by not getting in the ring. Unavoidable confrontation. How many? How many times do you have freaking eight in your life? Probably three times a day, every day of your life up till now. So, fundamental reality. You are more likely to have a problem with needing to eat tomorrow than the need to save your life. The other side, the other side, finding food is always possible if you know what to do. Defending yourself can be a situation where you never even get the chance, and like that, you're gone. So you have to be prepared to defend yourself. The consequences of not being there are drastic, and that's why so many people focus on it. And that's why I don't put them down for it. I just don't think I need to be another outlet that's 90%, you need a gun, you need a gun, you need to get an AR-15, and you need... No, that's not me, right? (laughs) Well-armed... Yes, and I leave it at that, and I chat about it on occasion, and I inform people, because I know I have a lot of people that come into this audience that don't really know about guns, they've never owned a gun, and I think it's an important thing to expose people to, but if you want more than that, there's Gun Talk Radio, Gun gun Rights Radio, all kinds of shows about guns. I'm going to stick to the overall lifestyle approach, 
that gets you where you need to go so you can afford to buy the gun that you want, so you can afford to buy the reloading equipment that you want, so you can afford to buy the ammunition and the components so that you can practice with it, so you can afford the training. you got to get your life in order. You can't be broke and well-armed. It's almost impossible, right? Because sooner or later, if you're that broke, you'll be pawning your well-armed armory so you can afford to freaking eat. You can't eat bullets. Or if you do, you only eat them once. Right? So that's why I don't focus on it to the exclusion of other topics. That's why it's one piece. And if you think about it, guns get an equitable distribution here. Because I probably cover about 20 regular topics. So 5% is a pretty equitable distribution for any topic. That's why that's the case, though. I also have said I believe that survivalism can save America, and people sometimes ask me what the hell I mean by saving America with survivalism, and I think sometimes it brings back up images of the media's version of survivalists, especially the survivalists of the, you know, the 60s and 70s when everybody was afraid of World War III. And they think of like a Red Dawn scenario and all these guys out in the woods and stuff like that. And again, I'm not putting, if you're part of a militia unit and you're an organized and, uh, uh, you know, a, a legal militia, and I know some people are going to get all pissed off now that I said that, uh, but if you're plotting blowing up a building, you're not a legal militia. Okay, You're not even a militia. You're a terrorist group. If you're a group of people that train to defend your home in the event of an invasion or to aid rescuers during an emergency, you are a militia. And I'm proud of you for that. And constitutionally, if you're an able-bodied human being, you're a member of the militia because you are the whole of the people in the words of our founders. Okay, But if you're part of something like that on a more organized basis, I'm fine with you. I really am. But when I say save America, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not that long ago, a hundred years ago, this nation was probably the most self-sufficient and self-reliant group of people in the world. You could put hardship on America a hundred years ago, and we laughed at it. right? If we got into a, a situation where we were threatened, we would kick your ass. And not with technology. With grit, with, with fortitude, with courage, with toughness. Today we're tough as far as militarily around the world because we have guys that can push buttons and blow your ass up from a thousand miles away. I'm not saying that's wrong either. It gives us a certain amount of a feeling of confidence that we're not going to be likely to be invaded, right? But remember what I said about future technology and ancient tradition? And the two worlds needing each other. Go try to push a you know a rancher off his land anywhere in this nation in 1880. It would have been nasty. And yet we have farms foreclosed on all over the nation today, where the banker just rolls up and takes the farm away. Wouldn't have happened 120 years ago. It just wouldn't have. 130 years ago before we had something called the Federal Reserve, before the bankers were really in power. You wanted to take that land, you would have done it over the guy that owned its dead body. There was that kind of toughness and resolve. And even if the guy you know, was an honorable guy, and from one dealing or another were his mistakes, he lost his land, he went out and did something else. He kept fighting. And I think that now we've got into a society where when things go wrong, people end up on welfare and food stamps. And again, if you're collecting one of these things, 
because you need it during an interim and you're working on rebuilding your life, I'm not putting you down. You're the type of person that program was meant for. You're not the 98% that are sucking the tit of government. And if you are the 98% of the sucking the tit of government, stop doing it. Stop sucking away the production of the rest of society. Stand the hell up. Be a man. Be a woman. Be proud to be the head of your family. Get your ass out of that situation. Go take any job you can get. Prove yourself. Have some self-respect. Well, survivalism does that to people. Because when you feed yourself from a guard, when you feed yourself from the woods, when you take dirty water and you make it clean... When society has a recession and you don't give a shit, you know what happens? It's empowering. You start to realize, I control me. And all of a sudden, somewhere, the spirit of your great-grandmother, who's been paying attention to what's going on and is in sync with the modern world, goes, Yes! He's got it! I knew he'd get it! I've been waiting for him. Now he's got it. You know what takes that away from you? The grave. You know, in a sense, I think your spirit lives on, for those that want to know how I feel. But that's what takes... Once you have that, you've got to die. Or you've got to mentally die. If you have some kind of brain damage from a physical thing or a medical thing that makes you forget it. Nothing else will take it away. It can't be done by force. It can't be done by circumstances. Once you connect to that, and that's why I think survivalism can save America. Because it's who and what we are. And I don't care if you showed up here yesterday, as long as you did it legally, from Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, I don't care. If you showed up, and at some point you said, now I'm an American, and you've said you're loyal to this nation... That entire history becomes part of you right there. Because let's face it, we all got here by choice. Even the first of us that were here, the people we call natives to this land, they walked across an ice bridge to get here. Everybody in North, Central, and South America chose to come here and become part of what this is. Everybody. From the first to the last. And if you come here, to this place, you're an American. And it can be said for most other nations as well. Have pride in your nation no matter where you are. I talk about America like I'm an American, and I'm talking to an American audience. But I believe survivalism can save America. And I believe it can save Sweden. I believe it can save Holland. I believe it can save the United Kingdom. I believe it can save Iraq. I believe it can save Afghanistan. You might think, Afghanistan? Jeez, where can they be more survivalists? A survivalist isn't someone that goes around shooting at people. A survivalist is someone that understands that his survival is also dependent on his neighbor's survival. And that the way to build a community based on survivalism is to build a community based on common ideals and common values. We do not have to share beliefs. You can believe one thing about politics and I another. You can believe one thing about religion and I another. If we share common values, human life is important. There's a limit to how many resources there are in the world. We need to educate our children to be able to take care of themselves. We share values like that, 
with a survival mindset, we can all believe whatever we like. We can all actually do whatever we like. But everything that everybody does will solidify their own self-reliance and self-sufficiency. And self-reliant, self-sufficient people in a community make the community more self-sufficient and self-reliant. If we have enough self-sufficient and self-reliant communities, we restore that in our states and then eventually our nation. And if we are a self-reliant, self-sufficient nation, and our politics go, but if we, if we cut spending, we won't have this program. We go, we don't give a shit. Thank you. Please do that. By the way, you're fired. Get out. And I vote for one guy and you vote for another, but we're both voting for a guy that stops pissing away our, our future, our heritage, that doesn't go into debt for $1.6 trillion this year. And Republicans get the blame, and Democrats get the blame. Please understand, when I say Republicans and Democrats, I'm talking about elected officials, not you. I don't care what party you're part of. I really don't. Because I'll tell you what, a Democrat from West Texas is a lot closer to the marketing speak of a Republican than a Republican from Rhode Island. Sorry, that's the way it is when it comes to elected officials. They use whatever name after their name is most likely to get them elected wherever they're living now. It's all bullshit, and I know it. And I know it because I'm self-sufficient. And I think if you're self-sufficient, you'll figure that out for yourself. I don't have to worry about your politics. I don't have to worry about your economic beliefs. All I have to worry about is helping you reconnect with the values you already have that somebody has lied to you long enough about that you've forgotten. If I help you reconnect to those values, all of a sudden you'll wake up and go, I'm a prepper, I'm a survivalist. I'm a self-sufficient advocate. Right? I want more self-reliance. I want more independence. As soon as you have that, we can disagree about how to get there, but we'll start heading in the right direction as a nation. That's why I believe survivalism and self-sufficiency is the key to saving this country. And I think it's so much more powerful than who we pull a lever for or push a hole through a piece of paper for. And I think that's why the politicians are scared shitless of every facet of this movement right now. From the environmentalist that's worried about actually building solar instead of running their mouths about black fluorescent bulbs and saving polar bears through some nonsensical trading scheme. Those people scare the shit out of the government. The, the people that are planting gardens everywhere right now that have no connection to us, they just think it's great to be able to provide their own food, scare the shit out of the government. We, this group, scare the piss out of government. Absolutely terrify them, because we think for ourselves. See, if this type of thought spreads, they're all screwed. They're all screwed. Everybody. Not, not the, all the Republicans are screwed. Not all the Democrats are screwed. No, you know what will happen? You know who go to Washington? The laid-off auto worker that busted his ass for 20 years on the line. Right? The rancher from Florida. Those are the people we'll start sending to Washington. We don't need smart lawyers running our country. This is what we've gotten from smart lawyers. Laws no one can understand. Loopholes that make everything great for them. We need to take people like you and me, send them to Washington. We won't do it until we have enough faith in our fellow Americans to do that. And that's what I think self-sufficiency will do for us. It will restore faith in our fellow Americans. I know when I watched the video, The Revolution is You, and I looked at all those people out there, I know that was the biggest thing it did for me. It helped me 
invigorate a faith that was already growing from doing this show and hearing from all of you every day. To realize we can trust our fellow Americans to do the right thing. We can trust our fellow Americans to get off their ass and work. We can trust in our fellow man. Trusting in your fellow man, that's part of survivalism. You know, I'm going to have uh, Dave on tomorrow. And even though they make a big deal about the fact that he, he and Cody have different uh, viewpoints, and they put a little bit of that conflict in there to make it more entertaining, when it comes down to it, those two guys have to trust each other to get through their situations. That's survivalism. That's what it always comes down to. Two or more people together trying to get through something without trust, it doesn't happen. Well, you are American, or you put your nation of choice in there. You are surrounded by your fellow Americans, and our country is screwed. And we have to survive that screwing. You won't get there unless you start looking to your left and your right and putting some faith in those fellow Americans that you have. Some of them are deeply asleep. You have to have faith that they'll wake up. You have to be an example. You have to lead forward instead of bitching about those standing behind you. You don't stand, that's not how you lead. You don't lead behind a group bitching going, go, go, what's wrong with you people? Come on, go. No, you go, hey, you know what? I'm going this way. Check it out. It's cool. See ya. That's how a freaking leader leads. That's what modern survivalism is. Leading that way. Through example. Make your own way, and the others follow. And I also have to tell you something. There's a covert mission to the Survival Podcast. There's something going on here that's not on the surface. Uh, I don't know exactly what you call it. On some level, it's self-improvement, self-help, motivational speaking. It's some of those things. But what it really is to me, it's about understanding your own power. That's the best way I can put it. And you can put whatever marketing spin that society has put on that uh, you want to to feel comfortable with it. But that's my real mission. My real mission is that every person that listens to this show at some point stops thinking about how powerful my voice is or my thoughts are or my concepts are and go, he's talking about me. He's not talking about him. He's talking about me. I'm this person. I'm this self-reliant, self-sufficient expert. I got an email from somebody that said, we're not all like Jack Spierka with years of survival training and knowledge. Yes, you are. The covert mission of the Survival Podcast is, it's not about me. It's about you. This show every day is a story of the life that you can have if you choose it. That's what it's really all about. And I'm asking you to choose it. Not my way, your way. I'm asking you to walk your path under your terms, the way you want it to be. I'm asking you to carve that path out of the wilderness the way you want it carved. To never give up. And when you find an obstacle, chop it down, burn it, walk over it, dig a tunnel underneath it. I don't give a shit what you have to do. If it's in the way of you going where you want to be, get rid of it. Nuke the sucker if you have to. Believe in yourself and believe in your right to the pursuit of happiness enough to pursue it. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. There's a better way.
Nobody up there cares. They're leaving. 